sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Am I the only one who thinks this is totally insane? Rob, we're fighting theological injustice here. They're not using just weights and measures. He said we have 50 listeners. I think he's being generous. Rage Bible is interpreted by experts. Rob, are you as shocked as I am? It's nonsense. If you've given any money to this, you need to complain. You ask for your money back. I don't know about you, but I find this annoying. What up and shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb show. My name is Caleb Haig and with me as always a Rob Van Hoff. What up? What up? Loud mouth. How's it going, brother? Loud mouth and <laughs> uh, well, well, we're, uh, we're jumping the gun a little this week for we, the sake of uh, Far East. You call? Are you going to the Far East? Is that what you call that? Uh, Asia Minor. No, Asia Minor is Turkey. <laughs> uh, no, I'm going to uh, I'm going to the 1040. Kind of. Do you know what the 1040 is? Nope. Okay, so the 1040 is the uh, the longitude of like. Yeah, the triangulation of the of the places that have been le- least reached by the gospel. So if a missionary yeah. says to you, I'm in the 1040, that means that they are in this. Wow. This, that never, however, wow. if you look, it, it, the Philippines is actually in the 1040, but it's not considered part of the 1040 because the Philippines has been reached by the gospel. But yes, I will be within the 1040, Very interestingly cool. enough. Um, yeah, so uh, Rob and I are are recording this early because when the Rob and Caleb show will actually air, I will be probably landing or just about to land in Taipei, Taiwan for a nine and a half hour layover over to uh, the Philippines. So, um, yeah, we're pre-recording this, but uh, that nonetheless, even though we're pre-recording it, um, uh, Gary Springer will still be doing all of our programming. Our chat room will still be open, thanks to Mark Randall. So I'm going to pretend like there's people in the chat room. Every once in a while, I'm going to laugh and like say, hey, that's funny, Andre. I think I'll like, actually have your attention hey. today. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> the Hoff will not be distracted. That's today. right. That's right. Uh, the Robin Caleb Show is brought to you by TorahResource.com. Go there. There's all sorts of free stuff. Uh, all sorts of free stuff. Articles, videos, all sorts of stuff. So TorahResource.com. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so this week, so, this, this is a good testament to us being able to throw a show together because I think we threw this show together in one hour. Well, Caleb, I was going to ask you, are you set, I mean, do you have all your teaching stuff? Can you give a little, like, yeah, yeah, I do a bit about what you're going to do? Yeah. So I'm teaching seven sessions in the Philippines. Um, and there's two different conferences. So the first conference is more of a yeshiva style. Uh, conference. There will be uh, tables where people will sit down. There's only going to be about 30 people in that conference. And uh, so uh, people will be able to ask a lot more questions, dialogue a lot more, that kind of thing at the yeshiva style uh, conference. And so I will be teaching three different lectures at that conference. And then the bigger conference, all those 30 people will probably be in the bigger conference, but that's, op- and the, the yeshiva style conferences is, is mostly uh, uh, teachers and leaders of communities. 
Um, and then the, the bigger conference where there will be about 130 people uh, is open to anyone, anyone and everyone. So a little That's going to be great. Yeah. yeah, a little bit more of the lay person. So in the first uh, conference, in the yeshiva-style conference, I am going to give a rundown of the formation of rabbinic literature from the first century on. And... Um, up through uh, present day. So, and basically what I'm hitting is the Mishnah, Talmud, and then the uh, Zohar. Uh, and then a little bit of a background of uh, Hasidic Judaism. So that'll be my first lecture in that, in that series. And then I'm asking the question, should we be giving the gospel to, uh, to the Orthodox Jews through rabbinic literature? In other words, should we be trying to attempt and basically, you know, um, asking what I'm asking is basically has Itzhak Shapira hit the nail on the head by trying to give the gospel through the rabbinic literature. And my answer to that is no, we should not be trying to give the gospel through rabbinic literature. The gospel in and of itself is good enough. We don't need to try to uh, use something else. God gave us the perfect tool. So that's my, that's the first three lectures that I will be, uh, giving at the Yeshiva style conference. And then at the big conference, I'm giving four lectures. I'm giving uh, four lectures basically on, uh, originally, it, <laughs> I, I was going to teach on Sola Scriptura. I was going to tie basically the two lectures together. Uh, you know, should we, uh, once again, kind of asking the question, should we be turning towards rabbinic literature as divinely sanctioned? And uh, so I wanted to first ask the question, can we trust our Bibles? So I started with the Tanakh and the formation of the Tanakh as canon, uh, giving of the Torah, and then the formation of the Tanakh, Tanakh as canon. Um, and that, uh, that is in and of itself one, I believe, one lecture. And then the, uh, the pseudepigraphic and uh, apocryphal works, I talk about those. And then I go into the uh, canonization of the apostolic scriptures or the New Testament. Wow. Talk about that and talk about some of the codices that we have, some of the nuances between the codices, all the way up to the Reformation, uh, Tyndale, the Tyndale Bible into the authorized version or the KJV and the 1611 KJV. And I will talk about uh, the Eastern texts versus Western texts. I'll talk about Tischendorf and his discovery of Codex Sinaiticus. Wow, this is crazy, man. And then finally into Sola Scriptura. So asking the question, should is it the final authority? Right on. So it's a it's a lot of uh <laughs> it, think of the past two seasons of the Robin Caleb show kind That's of mind blowing bundled into four sessions. Yeah, it's good on you, Mike. Well thanks. Well, that'll be excited. I'm gonna be praying for you guys for safe travel. For, thanks. Yeah. For, uh good teaching. Yeah, the Lord's we protection certainly and well, my dad is teaching a, a significant, a significant amount in, I think he's got 20 sessions. So I got seven sessions. I think he's got 20 sessions and he's teaching a slew of different, uh, lectures, including, uh, I will build my ecclesia. So he's going to do that. And we're going to get that on video. Uh, he's going to teach the deity of, the, of Yeshua, which he's done before in a one video, uh, teaching, but however, we're going to videotape it because he's going to break it into two sessions. Now he's going to expand it. And, uh, and, uh, praise the Lord. We've been blessed with a new video camera, which is HD. So, yeah. uh, so hopefully our, our video quality will up the game just a little bit. Anyway, little by little. that's right. Okay. So, um, do we want to do, uh, yeah. Do you have your gematria ready? Yeah. You know what? I, I'd like, can I sing our new song? <laughs> uh, please I, do. Okay. Here's the thing. 
just so just so you people know, um, someone, one of our listeners and friends, Carl, Carl, yeah, he basically uh, came up with a new jingle for us, and we're going to work on a better recording, maybe with some harmony. But today we'll, we'll get we'll get the we'll get the uh, Rob and Caleb show singers to uh, lay something yeah, down. But but, I, but I'm I'm going to perform it live here on the show. Very special. Here we go, folks. Very special in house. If I had my guitar, I'd. I'd oh do that. Yes. yes. Here we go. You might recognize the melody. <laughs> gematria, gematria. I want my ears to tickle. Gematria, gematria. The Bible's words are fickle. <laughs> oh no! You may find, or wait, you may find this hysterical. The meanings all numerical. <laughs> gematria, uh. gematria. The half has got your number. Very nice. Very Big nice. Kudos out to Mr. Carl of Oregon. So or a creative uh, lyrics there. Now we asked for people to make a jingle, and uh, so we give we give Carl half points on that. Uh, good job, Carl. So this is show number one seventeen, if I remember. That is correct. One seventeen. Go for it. What and you got? so Caleb, I have a couple key gematria terms here. Okay. Malach Yodhevave, like angel yeah. of the Lord. Oh, well, that is fitting for our topic today. Here's another one. Paul, like Pe Aleph Vav Lamed, Paul, mm-hmm. the name of Paul spelled in Hebrew. Yeah. Does that mean Paul is Malach Adonai? No. Malach no. Uh, Magne <laughs> David, shields of David. Ah. So you know the Mormon dove, right? Yeah. But if it's shields of David, Magne David. And then uh, another one is Enenu. Enenu. He was, he is not. That's talked of Enoch. It says Enenu. Also he fitting not, for a topic. Remember today. when it says he walked with God and Lord took him, he, or yeah. he was not and he knew. Yeah. But it's also what uh, they tell Joseph uh, when the brothers are in in uh, Egypt and mm-hmm. they don't know it's Joseph. Mm-hmm. And Joseph's asking about his brother. Don't you have a brother? Because he wants to find out about Benjamin, right? Yeah. Because Benjamin's not there, and he says, "Well, we had a mother, son of a mother, uh, and his, uh, but his brother is not and they knew." About Joseph is called Enenu. So, is that a name for Messiah? Is Enoch the Messiah? And then finally, if that wasn't enough for show 117, Haya ben Adam. He was the son of man. Wow. wow that, it's, like, I, it's, it's like prophetic almost of our show. I, I'm thinking. I'll, I'll <laughs> let you be the... Yeah, the, you be the judge. All right, well... Yeah, we are talking about... You know, we've had this... Uh, well, hang on just a sec. Let's close up, let's close up the, the gematria. Are you done? Yeah. yeah, that's it. You're a legend in your own mind. You don't need no education. Your mom goes to college. I think that view is headed for a deep mischief. Go for it, Rob. Well, yeah, we've had uh, some interaction with uh, people who believe that this rabbin- medieval rabbinic... A uh, figure called Met- Metatron is somehow Yeshua. That Yeshua is Metatron, and that there's a way to take the gospel to Jew, you know, pious Jews who believe in this Metatron figure because of their mystical texts. That that's the the place to br- talk to them about Yeshua, and you're basically going to say it's just like Yeshua. And there you have it, and then then you believe. 
See, you already believe in Yeshua because he's Metatron. You just need to realize his name's Yeshua. And we're, we're like, no. No, because the figure Metatron has this, an entire mythology about who Metatron is. Um, and if you compare Yeshua in the gospel, who Yeshua is revealed to be by the testimony of his apostles, and you compare that with the stories of Metatron in the rabbinic literature in the medieval period, apples and oranges, baby, apples and oranges. They're not the same at all. Um, so, Well, let's, let, uh, let me expand on that just a little bit here. Yeah, go ahead. So, uh, you know, everyone, I think, who listens to this show on a regular basis should know by now that uh, uh, we've, we've come out very strongly against some of the things that Itzhak Shapira has written in his book, Return of the Kosher Pig. Uh, I have uh, now challenged Dr. Michael Brown uh, on why he would endorse such a book. Uh, and in this book, uh, in this book, uh, Shapira clearly states, he doesn't, it would be one thing if he came out and he said, look, um, it, within rabbinic literature, we see the, uh, we see a divine figure, uh, you know, other than yod heh vav but same as yod heh vav We see the Messiah being divine, okay? It would be one thing for him to come out and say, within rabbinic literature, we see the Messiah being divine. And therefore, now I can apply that to Yeshua. Now look at the apostolic scriptures. That's not what he does, though. He specifically says that Yeshua and Metatron are one and the same. He literally says that uh, Metatron equals Yeshua. Here are a couple of quotes from his book, just in case you all have forgotten. This is on page 229 of Return of the Kosher Pig. The prayer mentions the name Sar Hapanim as the title that is given to Yeshua. In addition, the prayer mentions another minister or angel who is called Metatron. As we will shortly learn, Metatron and Sar Hapanim are the exact entity as the Messiah himself. Once again on page 229, quote, In essence, it is because of the mediator who is called Yeshua, the prince and Metatron, that our prayers will be received by God. This right here is blasphemy. To say that Metatron, uh, the apocalyptic figure of a man, Enoch, turned angel, turned lesser, yod heh vav as three Enoch calls him, uh, to say that our prayers won't be answered except for through Metatron, is in and of itself blasphemy. Uh, yeah, I mean, basically it's someone who wants to say, yeah, these rabbinic texts are the word of God, and I believe that Yeshua is my mediator. So therefore, and since the rabbinic tra- uh, texts are the word of God, therefore they must be talking about Yeshua and they just don't know it. And so they're equal, right? Yeah, That's what they're saying. once again, page 220, uh, this is the last quote I'll give you of, of, his, uh, of his book. This is on page 255. The Zohar identifies the divine nature of the Messiah as Metatron and the one who revealed God's face on earth. The Zohar accurately proclaims that the Messiah who is Sar Hapanim is the manifestation of God on earth. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, uh, now... So we, the Zohar is a, a written in the 1200s in Spain. People, uh, even Shapira somewhere says, oh, uh, he, like, he gives credence that it was actually written, to, written by Shimon Bar Yochai back, you know, a thousand years prior. And it's just, yeah, it's... Well, the the point is is that we've been uh, somewhat silent recently. Now we we hit hard on this that we uh, you know on our views on this uh, on our show, 
And uh, I contacted several different ministries, explaining to them that I thought that they should not be promoting Itzhak Shapira's book. Uh, Dr. Michael Brown was one of them. Now, Dr. Michael Brown's people have basically asked if I would be willing to come on to the Dr. Brown show uh, in the line of fire and debate Itzhak Shapira over these issues, which I've said yes to. However, uh, it has taken months now, and I do mean months, for them to basically uh, try to set anything up. Now, I understand logistics and whatnot. However, uh, we've, I've base, we've basically stayed silent on this issue because uh, I've been waiting to, uh, to hear from uh, the Dr. Brown show. However, with the recent uh, turn of events, if you will, uh, I think that uh, it doesn't matter what happens with the Dr. Brown show. I don't think I, we can stay silent on this any longer. And the reason why is because several days ago, my Facebook and my email lit up with people sending me the link to... Da, 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 da. Um, oh, actually, I don't have it up here anymore, do I? <laughs> hang on, hang on. Uh, it's the Daniel Boyarn, who is a esteemed Jewish uh, teacher. He is not... A uh, he is not a believer. Uh, he was speaking at the University of California. Oh uh, no, I'm sorry. He's oh, Yale. He, yeah, he, he he's was speaking from at UC. Yeah, yeah. he's from UC Berkeley. He was speaking at Yale, uh, and he was speaking uh, the Schaefer Lecture in Theology at uh, Yale Divi- uh, Divinity School. Three parts. He spoke on Enoch or Jesus, the quest of the historical Metatron. And uh, this is just too too uh, pointed towards our discussion of these issues to not address specifically and to uh, talk about in regards to Itzhak Shapira and his book and Dr. Michael Brown's uh, praise and endorsement of uh, this book, which clearly in my mind uh, teaches uh, a false gospel. And I don't know how else, uh, I don't understand how anyone can, can see it as anything else. Uh, however, many people apparently do, including Dr. Michael Brown, uh, who's been on this show before, by the way. I'm not putting him down as a person. However, this clearly is is uh, heretical in my mind, and I don't understand how Dr. Michael Brown can't see it the same way. Um, so uh, I'm going to continue to challenge Dr. Brown to reject uh, his endorsement, to go back on his endorsement of Return of the Kosher Pig, uh, as I think that uh, it's clearly uh, sp- speaking ill of the Messiah. So let's get into uh, the lectures by, do- uh, is it Dr. Daniel Boyarn? Yeah, Dr. Boyarn. Yeah. Several times over, maybe? Yeah. Um, let's go first to- I'm a big fan of, of Dr. Boyarn. Oh, I like him too. I, I disagree doc- with him I'm on this. I'm a fan of, of Dr. Schaefer, with whom he is pointing out repeatedly through this lecture series with whom he disagrees. He- okay, so Dr. Paul Schaefer- Peter. I'm sorry, Peter Schaefer, rather. Uh, he wrote this book that we've referenced in the past couple of shows, Jesus and the Talmud, which is... An- as well as, and then the, the, the newer one is this one, is... Uh, ah, the Jewish Jesus, yes. Yeah. And this book, I, I don't know if you, you know, you've read this whole book. I have not read the whole book. I've only read pieces of it. However, what I've read of this is dynamite. It's really good. What do yeah. you think? Uh, yeah, it's good. I, I like I like Schaefer. So basically what this whole three lecture but three three part lecture series it's like probably a couple hours long in, in toto is an interaction with uh in a large part peter schaefer yes so schaefer in the book that you just showed that uh jesus in the talmud and then the jewish jesus uh paints a picture of how 
how we should read from a historian's perspective, reading these ancient texts such as the Babylonian Talmud, the Jewish mystical texts, um, texts from the Second Temple period. How do we understand these stories about Enoch and Michael the Archangel, Son of Man in Heaven, um, and then later Metatron? How are we to understand them in terms of where, what texts and how they're described and what texts and what times those texts are from and what places geographically were those texts written? And how are we supposed to understand those? Uh, or what model are, models are helpful for us understanding those with uh, thinking in terms of the message of the gospel and who Yeshua is? Now, of course, the claims about who Yeshua is are very unique, and they go all the way back to the first century very clearly. The Enoch, uh, there, by the time of the first century, though, we had some Enoch tradition going back probably into the third century B.C., um, uh, with the early little apocalypses of, of Enoch. Um, and then there's a developing tradition of who is this Enoch character, and it grows and grows like a snowball going downhill, getting bigger and bigger. By the time you get you know, uh, to the first century, you've got all sorts of speculation as to who Enoch is. And, uh, of course, in the Babylonian, or uh, uh, by the med- medieval times, we have the equation of Enoch with Metatron. Uh, and so, and but it's his, more, and, but it's and more. Metatron's a new figure by that time. There is no Metatron in the first in the first century. There's no Metatron anywhere in the Second Temple period. Uh, the name Metatron comes way, way late by the year you know, five hundred or later. So there's no if you would have, if you would have transported into first century Judea and asked a Jew who Metatron was, they'd be looking like who the heck are you? You know what are you talking about? Nobody had an idea of someone named Metatron in the first century. That's a big point we need to make clear. Uh, and Schaefer will agree with that. Boyarin will agree. No one's disputing that claim. That's different than, than Shapira. Shapira would say, oh, no, they already had a Metatron idea back then. Yeah, and he's ignorant of the, the facts. So, um, so that's one thing to point out. What, we, what, what Caleb and I did is we pulled some audio clips from the Boyarin lectures, which are free. You can watch them online at, their, at Yale University. Just look up Daniel Boyarin, uh, Enoch Lecture, it's, it's Yale. In the, it's in the show notes. Yeah, you'll, it's not going to be a problem for you to find. Um, so wait, hang on. So uh, I, I want to actually go back for a few seconds because <clears throat> um, basically what, uh, where this all comes from is that Schaefer writes, um, he says against the recent trend in scholarship to connect three Enoch's Metatron with the, the Enoch of one and two Enoch and to see, uh, for, first and second Enoch and to see this, uh, amalgam of Enochic traditions as the hotbed of early Jewish, uh, Jewish, as well as Christian, uh, by, binitarian, binitarian spe- yeah, two powers in heaven speculations. I am inclined to locate three Enochs as well as the rabbis Metatron in the cultural context of late Babylonian Judaism and to regard it as a response to the New Testament message of Jesus Christ. That's on page 330 of the Origins of Jewish Mysticism. At the end of that quote, he has a, uh, I think it's that quote. I could be wrong about that, but I'm almost positive it's that quote. He has a footnote. And that in that footnote, he lists three, uh, maybe four of of Daniel Boy Arn's articles, and Daniel Boy Arn is saying, no, 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 
I do not believe that Metatron was a response to Christianity. Exactly. In fact, Boyarn is going to say, I believe that, the, that actually, let's just listen to what Boyarn yeah, has. Boyarn to, basically says, we didn't need, uh, that rabbis did not need Christianity to come yeah. up with Metatron. Yeah, exactly. Where we, Schaefer we, says, no. We did Schaefer it on says, our own. Yeah. yeah, where Schaefer says, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a response to Christianity. Okay, let's listen to what Boyarn. That's the crux. Let, let's listen to what Boyarn says. This is from lecture one of his series. Uh, at Yale University. The bottom line of my intervention is that rather than seeing the Bavli's apocalyptically themed materia, especially as found in Tractate Chagiga, as coming from only one source, or as only having been developed, invented as a Jewish answer to a fully formed and fully separated Christianity, as Schaefer would have it, we should see it and three Enoch as being a sort of stew of ancient apocalyptic traditions transmitted inter alia via texts such as to Enoch as well, Byzantine speculations, including Christological ones, Babylonian scribal wisdom, both old and new, and other forms of Jewish speculation as attested in such texts as magic bowls and occasionally glimpsed between the lines of rabbinic literature as well. Different portions of the stew were, moreover, abandoning the metaphor, shaped and reshaped, framed and reframed, to serve the rhetorical and other purposes of the different groups and individuals who produced these fascinating texts. Both the synchronic contexts and the historical linkages are of great scholarly interpretive historical interest, and neither should be given short shrift. Okay, so basically what he's saying is, is that, the, and he says this in a different part of the, actually it might be in the, Second uh, thing that I pulled, but uh, basically what he's saying is there was this trans, there, there was this idea already. E- Enoch, which was pre Yeshua, the book of Enoch, uh, talks about Enoch ascending to heaven and to being in the seven heavens and these kind of things. And so you have this morph morphology from uh, Enoch into a uh, you know already being in the throne rooms and all these kind of things. And what he's saying uh, he, is that perhaps maybe it was an oral tradition or whatnot that was handed down throughout the generations uh, that eventually got to the Babylonian Talmud because that's where we you know we have three Enoch that turns that that's the first mention of Metatron, and then the next met- mention of Metatron is in the Babylonian Talmud. So he's saying, okay, well, yeah, we had this oral tradition. I reject that completely. I think that, first of all, he's putting the Babylonian Talmud earlier than, he, than I believe it is, first of all. But second of all, you know, he's not, he's not a believing... Well, he, put, he puts it in the 7th century. Does he put it in the 7th yeah, century? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. He I, says I so in one then. of the... Yeah. I take that back then. Still, the point is, is that uh, Boyarn is, uh, is obviously a, a religious Jew who does not believe in the Messiah Yeshua. And so he has this concept of, of oral tradition going back, you know, into the first century. The idea that the Babylonian Talmud somehow, uh, you know, originated in the, in the first century, I just, I don't see it. Yeah, he's, he, what he's going to do, uh, Boyarn, he doesn't believe that the Babylonian Talmud is word for word old traditions handed down. He, but he does say that the Slavonic copies of Enoch, you know, those uh, like first and second Enoch that were preserved in early Christianity or Christian circles, uh, that there were Jews that had those texts also, and that those texts are what ended up uh, being copied and reworked, and that and the the fingerprints or the footprints of those texts are what we find in the ta- in Babylonian Talmud in Chagiga, chapter two. That's that's what he's 
So he calls this the section from uh, Bavli Chagiga, I think starting in page 14, 14a, 14a, is what he calls a Talmudic apocalypse, that it's an Enochic apocalypse modified in a couple ways. It's modified to say that there is no two powers in heaven, that the second throne, the throne of Daniel, in Daniel, that says there's a thrones in heaven, and Rabbi Kiva says, oh, one for uh, the son of David. That there, that, and then they correct Rabbi Kiva. They say, no, no, you can't say such a thing, that there's a son of David in heaven. That the rabbis in the Babylonian Talmud are trying to squash that tradition that puts a second power in heaven. And, but what Schaefer says is, well, that squashing is because it's against Christians. It's polemical against Christians. I agree but with Boyer, Schaefer. But Boyarin's like, no, they didn't need polemics in Christians. There were other Jews touting this Enoch figure in heaven that the rabbis were battling, not necessarily Christians. So what is, okay, uh, maybe we'll get so to So let's that. play some of the clips. Hey, hang yeah. on just a sec. I got, I got one more clip for you, and that's the end of my clips, and then, then okay. we can pick up on yours. Uh, I, to be honest with you, I forget why I grabbed this clip, so let's just listen okay, to it and find, just, out, and hey, find out. Hey, that's what this is about. <laughs> The structure remains quite constant and fits perfectly the definition given by Himmelfarb that I quoted last night. There may be no doubt then that Sefer Hechalot is an apocalypse. And if we accept Himmelfarb's statement that, quote, all later apocalypses involving ascent to heaven are indebted to one Enoch either directly or indirectly. Okay, hang on just a sec. I want to stop there. I remember why I grabbed this clip. Because now we have to give him this. He's now going on the assumption that all apocalyptic literature in some way is tied to Enoch. That's what he's saying. Well, yeah, I think because of the, the, the story in the Genesis, it says that he was not, for God took him. Yeah, I agree. But so that, he's, so that, but, but that what, no, triggers what, a bunch of speculation. What, he's what, sa- what I hear him saying is the book of Enoch, the first book of Enoch. Is that not yeah. what he's saying? I think he's saying that. Yeah, the, the Enoch traditions that developed in the Second Temple period about the mystery of how come, how did, why was he not, why did God take him, and yeah. trying to, all the Midrash built around speculating that, um, and, the, and the picture of heavenly, getting the new revelation from heaven, like some man going up to heaven, getting something and coming down. Um, and we know that, that's, that that kind of thing was going on because Yeshua says, he says, no one has ever ascended to heaven. The Son of Man, except the Son of Man, but then who you is have, in heaven. But in then, other words, then the you, difference is Yeshua came, right? Yeshua was incarnated and then ascended. He wasn't just born a man, only a man, and ascended. But then you have Paul. Paul knows a man, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he had a vision. Apo- yeah, and that's called an apocalypse. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so hang on. Let's keep going with this clip because this clip's a lot longer than just that. Hang on. Enoch, either directly or indirectly, end quote, then the initial plausibility of a nexus between Hechalot and Enoch is transparent. If, as I have suggested, the apocalypses themselves, the ancient ones, or at least their traditions, were not secret and esoteric lore, their transmission from the Second Temple to Byzantine times seems much more plausible. This view is therefore subtly but crucially different from the position of scholars of Jewish mysticism who posit otherwise unattested esoteric channels of transmission for this material. 
Rather, what I intend here is to make a case precisely for the broken, fraught, and contested transmission and reception, and especially that the figure of a second God transformed into or from a human had not been, nor ever would be, entirely exiled from the religious life of Jewry. In other words, while on the one hand I would certainly and definitely not associate myself with a scholarly tradition which posits Merkava mysticism in the Second Temple literature, and then goes so far as to use the later literature to reconstruct it, <clears throat> I also I reject with, the view that allows... Go ahead. Yeah, I agree with Boyarn there. Uh, on that yeah. last point, uh, yeah, yeah, he's going to say he's not going to. He's trying to be careful not to use anachronism. That's exactly, what he's exactly, exactly. Hang on, we're almost done with this clip. Ten seconds for the transmission of these themes only among Christians, with their eventual appearance in the Hechelot literature as a product of external influence. So the, he, he's he's rejecting that at the end. He's saying no. The, uh, even though I, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to read the the rabbinic literature, the later rabbinic apocalyptic literature back into the first century. I'm also not convinced that the Christians were the, the. It's a response to Christianity, is what he's saying. Right. Exactly. And that and Schaefer says it's got to be a response to Christianity. I agree with Schaefer. I think it's. Cl- yeah. I think cl- well, I shouldn't say clearly. I think to me it seems cl- clearer uh, to be able to say that it's a response to Christianity. The similarities of the, of the of the Metatron. Uh, that we see in the in the three Enoch and even into the Babylonian Talmud, uh, and the idea of a lesser Yod Hey Vav Hey, mm-hmm. I think that they misinterpreted. I think that they they were translating Christianity, responding to Christianity, but they miss. But they they didn't get the Godhead the way that the Christians had set it out. Right, and we understand. We know that, and and Boyarn will make the same point. He's argued in his book Borderlines. There was all sorts of back and forth between. Jews and Jewish believers in Yeshua and rabbinic Jews. Sure. And Boyarn is going to be the first to agree with Schaefer in terms of the Jesus in the Talmud book that you have there, Caleb. Yeah. That, yeah, it's evident that in the Gemara there are many times where uh, they're interacting with the gospel, right? They're, but but Boyarn wants to say that for, for some reason, Boyarn says in the instance of Chagiga chapter 2, where it's talking about Metatron, uh, for some reason, Boyarin wants to say that that text is not like all these others in the Talmud. All these, sure, they would he would agree with Schaefer. There's all these other places in the Talmud where there's interaction with Christians. Evident, Boyarin wants to say no, not necessarily here, because in Chagiga chapter two, it seems more like more sense that it's a uh, a rabbinic kind of reworking of an older Enoch text. And the rabbis are indeed trying to squash the idea of a second power in heaven, um, but it's not targeted towards Jewish believers in Yeshua. It's, it's targeted to some other Jewish group that we don't know who they are that believed in Enoch. And, we don't, it, and that's the difficulty, is that we don't, uh, we don't have any text of that. Uh, um, you know, except, I guess, well, the Hecalote text, but these are all, these are all late these are all well post-Christian. These are post all the councils, all the, you know, the councils in the early 3rd century, or in the early 4th century. These texts come after that. Plus, what Schaefer wants to point out is all the Babylonian magic bowls and things that have Metatron in them. It's all in Babylon. That, that Metatron isn't, this, isn't a figure in the Palestinian region, in the land of Israel. It's only later, and it's only in Babylon that you have this figure called Metatron pop up in these all these magical, mystical scenarios. And uh, 
and then when relating it with um, as it comes into the Zohar, that somehow Metatron is like some sort of divine figure incarnate or something, that that absolutely is a response to, to Christianity. So what does is, um, what is, what is, uh, Boyarin say, though, about Metatron? Because is he really of the, uh, does he buy it? Is he of the Yeah, I have some, that? well, play some of my, okay. I have the clips numbered. We, you want me to start Yeah, there might one? be some redundancy, I, but that's okay. I haven't heard these, by the way. Okay, that's all right. Here we go. By presenting in this text, as it were, the re-education of Rabbi Akiva on these questions, David, the Messiah on a second throne, the very idea. <laughs> the Talmud is indeed engaged in an act of clamping down on such thoughts. Okay, so the Talmud disagrees. So the Talmud clamps down. What he's saying is that, well, because the story there that he's reading from the Talmud, it says where Rabbi Akiva suggested that this other throne in heaven was for David. Are we talking about Haggigah here? Yeah. Okay. And so what happens? They say, no, Rabbi Akiva. So the Talmud uses the famous saint of the Talmud, Rabbi Akiva, to show that even he had to be corrected that the Messiah, uh, son of David, was not going to have a throne in heaven. Right? That even, even Rabbi Akiva needed to be corrected on that. Uh, because remember, he's the one that entered Pardes and then returned. He entered the uh, paradise and came back whole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the picture is Rabbi Akiva himself thought that one of those thrones was for David as some sort of heavenly son of man, but no. And so Schaefer says, well, that, yeah, the reason the rabbis are doing that is because there's Jews out there saying Yeshua is the son of man, he's the son of David, and he, he had us a throne in heaven. Schaefer says it's obvious. They're squishing what we would call, quote, Christian doctrine. Boyarin says, no, there was this other, we have enough Enochic literature that they're responding not to Christians, but to other Enochic-focused Jews. Okay, next Next text, next short clip. By the way, we should say, you know, uh, we haven't been explaining a lot of stuff in this show. If you're no, just, if you watch the lectures, you'll yeah. Uh, but if you're joining, if you're joining us for the first time, or if you found us on TuneIn Radio or something like that, and you're wondering what in the world we're talking about, uh, email us. <laughs> yeah, email us. However, if you're th- at all interested, th- let th- us know. Things like the, things like the Mirkava. That's the chariot. There's a whole line of, of rabbinic literature dedicated to what's called the Mirchava literature, which is that of people being taken up to heaven in the chariot, uh, being able to explore the heavenly, the different heavenly realms. Uh, we don't agree with this stuff at all, you know, obviously. Um, there's other terms that we've been using uh, that maybe you're unfamiliar with. You can email us uh, or, yeah. I, I don't know what else to say. We're going through this a little bit quickly, I think, because... Uh, well, we've got a lot yet to get through. we got too, a lot to so. get to. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, our, our apologies. Thank, uh, good disclaimer, Caleb. So uh, here you go. Uh, number two. Number two. The material in the second chapter of Chagiga, especially in the Bavli, is a somewhat tortuous, tortuous and certainly fragmentary rabbinic apocalypse. Okay, so we should first say that Chagiga is a book... Within, well, it's a tractate, it's of, a the tractate Mishnah. of the Mishnah. Mishnah. Yeah, yeah. And it ha- uh, it's a tractate, Chagiga, is in uh, uh, Seder Moed, so it's in the uh, festivals. And Chagiga has, a, in chapter 2 of Chagiga, it talks about uh, what you can talk about and what you can't. Can you talk about, is it okay to talk about Ezekiel's chariot? Is it okay to talk about the creation account and, talk, and speculate on things? 
And can I do it in front of a group or just can it only be a few people? I mean, the, the rabbis are trying to regulate who talks about scripture and, and what scriptures. Okay, hey, they should, they should get together with FFOZ. Right. And I think this is, uh, this is a key thing that I think maybe uh, should be part of the argument is like they're trying to control, you know, who says what to who. Um, why? Because there's dangerous scriptures, right? If you read so, this, wait, wait, uh, hang on. Are you hi- hypothesizing that they, that once again this is a polemic against the Christians? In other words, don't you don't talk about Isaiah 53 in front of the Christians? No, they, they, do, they don't bring Isaiah 53. No, I, into but it, I'm, but I'm giving you an example. Genesis and uh, Genesis one and two. Oh, Ezekiel, don't don't yeah, don't Ezekiel. use Genesis because it says, "Let us make man in, our, in in our own image." Right, right. And so, in, in any event, <laughs> that's what Huggy guys. When he says the Bavli, that's the Babylonian Talmud's commentary on the Mishnah, mm-hmm. on that particular Mishnah. So we're talking, yeah, we're talking uh, probably finally redacted in the 7th century, but uh, from from conversations that kind of had been going on in the prior centuries. Let's listen to the clip one more time. It's only 13 seconds long. Here we go. Material in the second chapter of Chagiga, especially in the Bavli, is a somewhat tortuous, tortuous and certainly fragmentary rabbinic apocalypse. So basically, one more time, what he's saying is that what we have in that text, in uh, the Babylonian Talmud, Tractate Chagiga, starting at like 14a, mm-hmm. we have what's a rabbinic, it's in Aramaic, it's a rabbinic apocalypse. Uh, it's a rabbinic telling of the story of a, of a second power in heaven and with some sort of mysterious... Uh, idea of going to paradise and, and returning and mysteries and stuff like that. Okay, next. So go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so this is the longest clip that you gave me. Two minutes. Here we go. The Babylonian Talmud has a very f- f- famous and remarkable narrative of the ascent. That was me regretting using the word famous twice in two sentences. So, uh, And remarkable narrative of the ascension of a certain Elisha ben Abuya, nicknamed Acher, to heaven, Whereupon he makes a fateful mistake, misidentifies Metatron as a god, and suffers terrible consequences. Schaefer has made a compelling point about this narrative, in which the highest angel, potentially identified with or confused with a second divine person, namely Metatron, appears. It can only be explained, as he shows, on the basis of traditions such as those found in the book Three Enoch, in which Enoch is transformed into Metatron explicitly. Alexander has further pointed out that Metatron's... That's Peter Alexander has further pointed Actually, out that Metatron's absorption of translated Enoch could only have taken place in circles acquainted with the Palestinian apocalyptic Enoch traditions. Schaefer, however, declines any possibility of seeing connections Wait. between the early Enoch... Let's pause it first. Pause it there. Don't go back. But okay, first of all, it's Philip Alexander. He said Peter Alexander. It's Peter Schaefer, Philip Alexander. Alexander. Okay, so he said Peter Alexander. So that was his, it's just a mistake. But he says that Alexander says for this Babylonian story, these Babylonian stories that reflect this Metatron, uh, need, they had to come from Jews that were in the land. Because that knew knew about these kinds of stories, Enoch, that the the stories didn't originate in Babylon; they originated in in the land of Israel, and then somehow migrated over to Babylon. And so, uh, Schaefer says, "No, 
Well, no, wait. Schaefer says, yeah, there might be interchange like that, but, but the Metatron equation and then how it's received, especially in medieval texts, is a response to Christianity. And that's where Boyarin and Schaefer separate. So go ahead, and I just wanted to clarify. Apocalypse is one and two Enoch, in which such an apotheosis takes place for Enoch, and the much later Hebrew text known as Sefer Hechalot, or three Enoch. He consequently ends up asserting, as the only possible explanation, direct Christian influence on the Talmud in late antiquity, i.e. that Metatron is produced in the Byzantine era out of whole Christian cloth as an imitation of Christ. So that's that's yeah, other Schaefer. scholars have taken note. Go yeah, ahead. that was that was he just says that's kind of what Schaefer, Schaefer is saying. But I, but I think he exaggerates it a little bit. He doesn't say out of whole cloth. Um, he, Schaefer says that there were these traditions, but what real the motivator, what accelerated it into a, this bigger deal, is only parallel with all the claims that had been going throughout the world about Yeshua being the Son of David, the Son of Man, exalted to the right hand of the Father, and having authority, right? That's and not only that, but you have to remember how fast, I mean, Christianity, quote-unquote Christianity, took off like wildfire. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, it hit, once it hit Rome, it was like unstoppable. It grew so fast, the, the, right. the, it's, it's a miracle how fast. And it, went, and it made it into Persia, too, into yeah. Babylon, which became, you know, we think of Babylon, and that's, a, a, that's what Schaefer wants to argue with is Jesus in the Talmud book and the Jewish Jesus book, is that there were uh, evidence, there's evidence that there was Jews in Babylon who were believers in Yeshua interacting with, and probably not, and non-Jews in Babylon that were believers in Yeshua, who were interacting with rabbinic Jews all over, all the time. And that the Metatron comes out of that cultural milieu. Well, we have to remember also that 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 the uh, that after the destruction of the temple in seventy, what happens to the to the Jewish sects? You have a, a they get scattered and yeah, and, yeah, and, fragmented. and and really the the uh, Pharisees are left as the as the big boy on the block in terms of Judaism's with you know after the destruction of the temple, and so you almost have this fragmentary. Oh no, we're dying in terms of Judaism's uh, saying you know what do we do here. And at the same time, you have Christianity rising unbelievably fast. So it makes sense to me, just from the history standpoint, just from looking at the history of what's going on, that the uh, the, the, the the rabbis, the later rabbis of the third and fourth century, would start to uh, try to squash some of the some of the <laughs> things coming from Christianity. Yeah. Okay, let's finish this clip. Uh, we only have about 13 seconds left. Of the importance of two Slavonic Enoch and understanding the development of the later Metatron materials, a line of investigation that Schaefer has seemed largely to ignore. Okay. There. I wanted to include that just so you, so people could see what Boyarn's claim against Schaefer, yes, yeah. yeah. I, I, I wanted to see. So, but now the last clip kind of is another little. Well, we have three clips left. Oh, there's three left. Okay, yes. cool. I did uh, so here's here's uh, yeah. Here we go. The crucial point is to envision a connection between the transformation of Enoch into the Son of Man in one Enoch seventy one, Enoch's angelic transformation in two Enoch twenty two, 
and the transformation of Enoch into the archangel Metatron in Sefer HaEchalot 3. Okay, hang on. I want to stop there. Now, I haven't heard this clip before, so I don't know where he's going with this. It's, there's no doubt in my mind that there's this progression. You have Enoch, you know, ascending Yeah, yeah. To in, the, in first Enoch, it equates a man who becomes the son of man. Then the second Enoch is he becomes an angel. And then by the time you get to Sefer Hechalot, which is the Hebrew text written in, what, the 5th century or whatever, he becomes equated with Michael slash Metatron. And here's the, but here's the thing that I was realizing. You know, I, I think what they have going on here in, the, in 3 Enoch, they call him a lesser yod heh vav heh. And right. I think one way that, that some of the rabbis could explain this, instead of saying, oh, there was two gods, is that, no, 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 it was kind of like a suzerain vassal treaty. We see the same thing going on with uh, those who are trying to discount the, the, uh, the Trinity, like Lou, uh, not, I'm sorry, like uh, Joe Good, rather, not Lou mm. White, like Joe Good and, and uh, Buzzard. And these guys, they, they say, oh, well, Yeshua is just a, he was like the, the vassal of the suzerain vassal treaty. It, you kind of see the same thing happening with Enoch. Enoch gets uh, kind of works his way up the ranks of the, of the food chain up to the second in command. And the second in command is the, the heaven, you know, over the heavenly house, archangel of archangels. And then by the time you get to third Enoch, he's given this, you know, lesser yod hey vav hey, I speak for God kind of a thing. And uh, almost like this, this elevation to, I mean, he's called the lesser yod hey vav hey, but it's almost like this elevation to second in command. And I, so Boyarn, that's what he's, he wants to point that, that that there was like this momentum in Jewish movement over time and that the Christian tradition sprung out of that sometime but didn't influence that momentum, that, that it was going to become Metatron whether or not the gospel ever happened. See, but what, does he, do, what does he do with the, with the clear uh, uh, mystical Christian mysticism influencing Jewish mysticism? Yeah, he doesn't really, he doesn't go that far into the, he doesn't get into the Zohar. He doesn't get into medieval times. He's just, but, he uh, yeah, but that's the, the continuation of the progression in my mind. I agree. I, I, yeah, yeah, I agree. So, I mean, if you, if we continue on with the, with this, with the line of, of what's happening, Christianity is clearly influencing uh, Jewish mysticism. I think that, I think, uh, like, I don't know of any scholars that would disagree with that. Right, because we have the Jew, the, the the Jewish mystics basically learning from the Christian mystics. It's all one school back in the early days. Anyway, yeah. okay, yeah. let's let's keep going with this then. Sorry, boy, Arne, he's not going to want. He's not going to want to say there was such at that late. He's saying this is what he wants to be protective of. He doesn't want us to imagine two stovepipes, one called Judaism, one called Christianity. And they're like two silos next to each other. He even, at one point, it's really funny. He bring, I think it was an old Bugs Bunny, but he said, I remember a cartoon where you have the two castles. And then every once in a while, a rock throws or someone throws something. <laughs> or like in Monty Python, they hurl a cow. Yeah. over the, you know. But, but like, here's the Christians in this castle, and here's the Jews in this castle. And then there's, nothing, there's just a bunch of land in between, but each is really walled in. What I appreciate about Boyarin is that he wants to protect people from building that strong of a silo system. It's he says there's interaction. There's a lot of interaction going on. It's interesting. And I, he said, I, I forget if it's the first or the second lecture, but at one point he says, uh, you know, I understand what Neusner was doing by saying Judaisms. He needed to do that. I understand it, but I reject it. He said, I don't believe in Judaisms and I don't believe in Judaism. Right. He said, I believe in Jewry and everything that, that Jewry would encompass. 
So you, that's wh- what, and that's what my te- uh, Marty Jaffe would say is Judaic worlds is another way of understanding yeah. it, that it's. But yeah, I get it. Okay, let's keep going with this clip then. Into the archangel Metatron in Sefrahe Chalot three Enoch. That's the third. I'm suggesting a historical. uh, I'm not not only I, but uh, following Orloff and um, Alexander, suggesting a historical trajectory in which the human Enoch becomes the son of man in one Enoch seventy one. He's transformed into an angel in two Enoch twenty two. And in three, Enoch actually becomes Metatron, either the, an archangel or um, the uh, second divine figure. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I think enough said, right? Cool, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he, uh, you know, he basically is. But once again, the problem with, with, uh, with where I see Boyarn's, uh, the, the chink in his armor right now is that he doesn't continue the, the uh, you know, analysis of the formation of these different works up into the Zohar. Right. Because clearly we have Christian influence. And I think if we take it to the Zohar, then we can take uh, Schaefer's uh, analysis from the beginning and understand it better. We see the progression of Christian influence into the rabbinic literature. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so next clip. Yep. Here we go. There is no doubt that Metatron himself is the historical product of various developments within Jewish tradition. Metatron seems clearly to be the conflation of at least three figures from earlier Jewish traditions. Enoch, the lesser Yahu, right? Yahu Katan, and Michael Metatron. Okay. So in Mike and Michael, basically, he he. Uh, so this lesser, lesser uh, Yodevafe, Enoch, and Michael the Archangel are all later, one the same. Are kind. Of, well, he says later Jews take those and conflate them. They kind of stir them up in a stew and say, now we are going to call this stew Metatron. Like they he they take all these strings and they tie them together and make a new thing and say, yeah, all these strings tie together and they're the this person Metatron. Um, so he's he's acknowledging that Metatron is he says is basically an invention of these later Babylonian Jews who are drawing upon three core streams the Enochic stream the traditions about Michael the archangel and traditions about this lesser Yodhevafe and they're all s- stitched together into a story of a person called Metatron who never existed before that but but the rabbis imagine it was. No, of course. Yeah. Okay. okay. This is the last one? Last one. Okay. It is clear that in the Talmudic text, Michael is the heavenly high priest, just as Metatron is in three Enoch. Metatron is clearly an avatar of Michael. There is accordingly little or no reason to adopt or even entertain Schaefer's position that Metatron is an entirely Babylonian product or envious mimesis of Christology. Interesting. That's, that's his core point right there, is that Schaefer says the Babylonian Jews made up Metatron as a, to squash any, anybody, uh, and then they wanted to control it, how you understood Metatron, because what they're really controlling is how people will hear the gospel, because they don't want, they're jealous of, of people believing Yeshua, they, uh, and so that's the way Schaefer, in Boyarin's eyes, is envisioning this, that, that Metatron is a response to Christians. 
But what we just heard in that last clap is is uh, Boyaron saying, "No, I don't believe with Schaefer what Schaefer believes in this area. Um, rather, the Jews in Babylon came up with Metatron on their own. There was plenty of stuff in the air in text and ap- apocalyptic speculation about Michael and Enoch for them to come up with Metatron without any interaction with Christianity. That's I don't, I, don't, I don't buy it. But at the same time, I still wonder what, you know, one thing that we haven't heard is how, you know, first of all, does Boy, Boy Aaron as a religious Jew, does he agree that there, that, that, uh, Enoch is Metatron and Metatron is the lesser Yod Heh Vav Oh, so, I doubt it. I think he probably just sees it all as mythology and legend. I don't know. I mean, I would imagine he just sees it. They're just fable. They're just like, you know, I don't think he believes in the, I think the I first, maybe the second, uh, I think it was the second one. He talks about, uh, that he did a class on the, on, on John, on the book of John. Mm-hmm. in his uh, biblical uh, biblical works. And uh, he did John, and, and uh, they only got through like the first 14 or 16 verses. And uh, somebody asked him, uh, you're the only person who, who uh, in this class, biblical literature, has actually dealt with a canonical book. You know, why have you decided to do that? And he goes, well, I haven't. I've decided to uh, deal with a Jewish non-canonical book. <laughs> but at the same time, even he, he, he said non-canonical. Yeah, yeah, of course, because to him it's non-canonical because John isn't part of his canon. Uh, Got it. But, but the, uh, to me, it would be extremely interesting to hear his take on, on John. Anyway, I, so what is interesting to me is that he's dealing with these texts. He never tries to say, no, they weren't really saying, you know, Enoch was a lesser yod heh or anything like that. He just accepts it as, as myth or lore or whatever mm-hmm. and goes on. Whereas someone like um, uh, Itzhak Shapira, you know, he just, he just takes this, this mythological figure, once Enoch, man, born to a woman, turned angel, turned uh, lesser yod heh he just turns that into Yeshua. First of all, Yeshua is not a lesser yod heh I think that's a misunderstanding from the uh, from the early rabbis. Uh, yeah. Oh of, yeah, of the Absolutely. of the Trinity doctrine, and and Schaefer or Schaefer, not Schaefer. I apologize. And Shapira, he he just buy, buys a hook, line, and sinker. Like, oh yeah, oh, that's yeah. just that's just Yeshua. Shapira doesn't have he he doesn't have training in how to in terms of historical reading of texts. Um, his training is very, very limited. Uh, it's evident uh, he's really cut and pasting from a lot of diverse things that aren't connected and trying to make a, an argument. Um, so what can he do? Anyway. Here's, here's my thought if I were to share something back to that. Back Go for to it. That. Sure. Any, any Hasidim, so any Jews that are part of Hasidic life today that are really pious and they're truly wise they're seeking true wisdom if if they read the gospel just the simple gospel they'll be blown away right they, they don't need they don't need gematria they don't need pardes they don't need kabbalah they don't need the zohar word, word pictures or zohar or our mystical letter 
manipulations or things like that to get the gospel. The gospel is just a simple story. <laughs> That's all it is. It's just, you know what I mean? It's just a simple story. And if you've got to change the gospel and to try to use what, like what Shapiro wants to call these Jewish, authentic Jewish ways of, of learning, like, you know, Bible codes or whatever, you know, Gematria and, and Pardes and all this kind of stuff, then, yeah, then the people that you attract are not going to be set, they're, they're going to miss the, the, what Paul calls the foolishness of the gospel. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that by wisdom, by God's wisdom, he made the gospel really simple. That, the, that even foolish people, it would look foolish to the wisdom of man. And what Shapiro's trying to do, he's trying to make it look sophisticated and um, look at all the mysteries of letters and how numbers equate and match up and all this pattern because that's how, that's the only way that true Jews are going to see who the Messiah is if you do all this. No, Paul says no. This is a foolishness. Shapiro's trying to make it so that the Jews don't have to change. Yeah. You're Jewish, you're Hasidic, you got it. Just all you have to do is a little tweak in your, in your terminology. Your thinking's even right. You already believe in Yeshua. That's what he's trying to do. And the answer is no. That's not, that's not right. The Holy Spirit will change a person. Yep. A true relationship with Yeshua will change a person. And it, ha- it doesn't have to do with numeric codes. Exactly. You know, or uh, let me prove to you by this mystical reading of this Zohar text, you know, it's just, that's, <laughs> that's just not the way Yeshua taught. Yeah. <laughs> that's just not the way the, the, and it's the not apostles, how we should teach either. Yeah. That's not how the apostles went about it. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Hey, we got a, we got a full hour out of that. Cool. Can you believe that? <laughs> a show thrown together in an hour. Hey, but Boyarin gave us uh, easy material to talk. You about. know what? Here's a cool thing. I want to, th- I would just say thanks to, Dr. Schaefer, thanks to Dr. Boyarin, because I think it's great that they're having this discussion. Yeah, we, we might disagree a little with this and this on, the, on different people, but I'm glad they're out there talking about it. Sure. And that we, because of technology, have the ability to interact so quickly. You know, this was a, a lecture at Yale University. Um, very, you know, this is an Ivy League, rarefied air kind of thing, you know. Prestigious. Yeah, five, you know, even 20 years ago, or whenever the inter- before the internet, um, we would not have the access. We wouldn't, might not even know that such a lecture was happening. So uh, because of where technology is and that these professors' uh, kind willingness to, to put their lectures online for free, I'm grateful for that. And I, I, uh, I would hope that Dr. Boyarn and Dr. Schaefer would continue to put lectures online and stir up the, the discussion and to be cordial about it. And you know what? Let's let's keep the conversation going. But for those who are disciples of Yeshua, we we have an additional point to make, and that is our own our orientation to reality is through Yeshua. No doubt, right? Our life, if we have any life at all, it's His resurrection life. Any mm-hmm. any any life that we think we have in this world that is not stemming from Yeshua's resurrected life is going to be pruned off, <laughs> right? Yep. You know, it, it, it's it's, and so. That's our orientation to the scripture. We, we come believing his words first and foremost. And therefore, it changes the way when we are confronted with a text like a Metatron in the Babylonian Talmud or the Zohar or the Shulchan Aruch or 
or uh, the uh, Baal Shem Tov's letter of how he ascended up to heaven and had a conversation with the Messiah, you know, we're like, yeah, you know what? Nah. (laughs) Nah, I'm good. (laughs) I'm good, thanks. All right. Uh, We hope that you've enjoyed this recording. Uh, thanks yeah. to our chat room. Yeah, if thanks you, to our, if if for keeping it real. Stuck, yeah, if you stuck through it today, when I say today, I mean Thursday, not Wednesday or Monday, whenever we're recording. Wednesday, yeah, Wednesday. But Wednesday. Uh, so thank you guys for interacting. No doubt. Send us email, chag at com. R. Van Hoff at torahresource.com. Uh, yeah, don't forget to check out torahresource.com. All right. Uh, please pray for me and my father as we're in the Philippines. And uh, I'm not sure. I think next week will be a best of or something, right? maybe a, a repeat of something. But no matter what, uh, we want to, uh, we hope that our conversations always glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua, not Metatron, Yeshua, the Messiah. <laughs>